Hello, I'm Daniel. And I'm Frankie. And this is Propagated Podcast. I was almost going to say, I'm Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm Daniel. No, I'm Daniel. Guess what, everyone? We are getting back to our roots <laughs> with this episode. Quite truly. It's been literally what the first, no, it was the second episode and on were the alcohol episodes. The first one was Phylloxera, right? Yeah. 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 And then we started in on our tried and true whole little drunk botanist um, episodes, which I have my handy dandy book by Amy Stewart right next to me right now. So. <laughs> I love that. Had I not uh, decided what I was going to do literally two days ago, maybe I would have gotten some real moonshine to drink for this one, but I did not. <laughs> I'm just drinking whiskey, which is out of character enough for me. So we'll see how I, we'll see yeah. if I'm still standing yeah, by the drink, end of- you're drinking whiskey? Yeah, what? we'll see if I'm still standing by the end of this podcast. It is, it is very debatable. <laughs> Whoa, are you wearing a onesie? No, it is two pieces, but they are matching pieces because I'm that extra sometimes. I love it. You're great. <laughs> yeah. So I guess in tried and true fashion, as we typically do, we're going to start with the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this article is really cool. I found it on Science News. Um, it is by Jake Bueller or Bowler. I'm not really positive how to say it. It's from June 7th of this year. It is written about what I think is one of the coolest kind of ferns and one that I've been able to not kill every time I've owned it. So, um, so this That's is possible, right? It's, but it's the staghorn fern. And I feel like oh, the staghorn okay, yeah, ferns yeah, yeah. Are, are, tend to be a little bit more sturdy than other ferns. But essentially, these guys have been doing research on staghorn ferns and the way that they grow, which they are native primarily to New Zealand, but also to some other islands between Australia and New Zealand as well. And their work is on Lord Ho Island, which is all by itself with no human intervention. It's isolated. So it was the Platycerium bifurcatum, which is the staghorn firm, that he realized was kind of acting differently than what he would have expected of fern growth and how ferns tend to uh, work in an ecosystem. And so essentially he started doing research on them and realized that they actually operate more akin to like a colony of ants or something of that nature, which are are known as eusocial societies. And it's because different parts of a colony, if you will, of staghorn ferns will take on different roles within. Like some staghorns are not reproductive at all they have no reproductive roles within their society and have lost the ability to reproduce is as a plant because they act as a nest for another animal that is beneficial towards their towards the overall group of staghorns ferns ability to thrive how cool is that so i had never heard of this before and this is still something that is very much so in the early stages of research so to use the term eusocial isn't exactly correct because it is only, you know, a hypothesis that they're still working out. 
but it's kind of, I, I just thought it was so crazy. But yeah, so essentially the study that he's done, like I was talking about fertility, revealed that 40% of the fronds couldn't reproduce um, and that the colony, the sterile colony members were predominantly nest fronds. Um, and because that suggests like a reproductive labor division hmm. or just a labor division in general among the nest style and the strap style frond types of the one plant, it's uh, hypothesized that it, they are dividing labor similarly to like ants and termites, which would make them a eusocial colony, if you will. And then that would be a huge hmm. deal because that would be the first plant to ever display any kind of eusocial traits. So it's like that a new thing. That is so cool. And again, like yeah. the article is kind of short. There wasn't a whole lot to be said. It's cool and it talks a lot, but it's like, that's like the juicy part of it is that hopefully um, it could be used to kind of broaden the idea of what eusociality could be in general if they can classify this plant as a eusocial group. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I love staghorn ferns. They're so cool. I used to mount them at the flower shop I worked at. Yeah, they're so pretty. And there are different kinds, too. Apparently, he also wants to try to do studies on a type of staghorn fern that is in Madagascar. Ooh. Specifically. That could also seem, that seems to also be living similarly. Oh, I, I thought it was really cool. They look so cool in their natural habitats. <laughs> oh, there are pictures on this. It's they look insane. Yeah. They get so freaking big. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, but that's, that's kind of the article. I thought it was really cool. I can't wait to hear more about it. Hopefully in the coming years, they'll be able to give us a new classification of something. Yeah, that would be awesome. Love all that new shit. I love science. I love how it changes and grows. <laughs> Clearly you can see what I focus on when I'm looking for articles for the podcast too, because the last article I did was on a new discovery in carnivorous plants in, <laughs> in the UK. What are my articles? My articles are all over the place. Your articles are all over the place. I feel like you find <laughs> well, yours more, like organi more organically and I like search for articles. Like you wait until an article finds you and I actively seek out articles. So obviously mine are going to be more catered to my interests. <laughs> You're just over there Googling what kind of orchid is new in the <laughs> what news in the orchid world? Literally 90% of the time I'm just like, Cool plant news. And then I look for something that's <laughs> more legitimate than like some BuzzFeed article. Well, if any of you plant nerds out there have cool articles <laughs> you want us to read on the podcast, let us know if you find anything cool. Yeah, so I guess then we'll get started. Do you want to go first or would you like me to go first? Um, I guess it doesn't really matter. Do you want what do you what do you think? You know what? I think I'll go first. Okay, look at look at that decision making. I know. It's like I am, I'm learning I am how to not make decisions. Used to that and I loved it. I like <laughs> can we cheers to that? Like where is my camera? I don't even know. I can't see my face anymore. <laughs> this is what happens when I have five jobs and I can't I have to make snap decisions or else I collapse. <laughs> oh, way to bring that back down from an accomplishment. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's been a really hard long week and I'm really proud of myself. Please be proud of me. I am very proud of you. You do too much, though. I know. You know, good old. I'm like the second I am medicated for my ADHD, it's like, let's do everything. I am powerful. I can do it all. <sighs> you got this. All right. But you are going to tell us about 
aperitifs, right? Or digestives? Yes. Or both? I am or... talking about both. I'm talking about aperitifs and digestives. Fuck. Because they're yeah. kind of two sides of the same coin. They really are. I can't wait to hear yeah. it. I, I like have a little bit of knowledge, but I can't wait to be taught some new shit. Well, we'll see. <laughs> Um, I, I don't, I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like you have all the knowledge on all the alcohols and I'm like, I okay, really don't go. I'm try I have to impress some, you. I have some, I don't have a lot, especially not about like what goes in. Like I know how to use a lot of the digestives, but I don't know. I don't know like specifically what I know goes how to drink them. them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I love a good, I love a good digestive. Yeah, me too. Anyway. <clears throat> So, aperitif. Okay, you know what? Here, envision in your head that all of us together, all of us beautiful plant babies, we're sitting around a table and we're about to have a nice, fancy, super special meal. (laughs) You come in the door and I'm like, oh, hello. Would you like some olives? Would you like some champagne? That is an aperitif. An aperitif is a drink that you have before dinner. And its purpose is to prepare you and your cute little stomach to receive all of the food and conversation that you are about to have. Which could often be a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) For us introverts, it's like, oh gosh, give me the champagne, I need it. (laughs) It's like, how how drunk can I get off these aperitifs? I I might need need a little social lubrication, please. Yeah. Unfortunately, not very. Usually aperitifs are not very high in alcohol. They're usually dry, something dry like champagne. Sometimes they're served with fruit. Sometimes they have botanical flavors, but usually it's something that's mildly alcoholic, just kind of a, you know, you're getting started. You're you're hungry. Your stomach's empty. You don't want to fill it with heavy alcohols. So it's going to be something like champagne or vermouth, maybe a gin martini, maybe some sort of fortified wine like sherry and brandy and cognac, but that's a little heavier. Um, Or my very favorite, an Aperol spritz. Mm. I fucking love Aperol spritzes. Me too. For those of you who don't know what that is, it's Prosecco with some digestive bitters and soda water, and it's delicious. Mm Mm-hmm. And lemon. And lemon. Tradition. I mean, lemon? lemon... Lemon isn't really traditional, but if you're making them at home, I can assure you that adding a splash of lemon juice will brighten your Aperol spritz significantly. Okay, well, I'm going to try that next time because I put cayenne in my last hot toddy, and it was the best thing ever, and I shouted you out. I didn't text you, but I I literally, <laughs> I literally finally got Benji to get all the makings for a hot toddy. <gasps> oh, this is the best news I've ever heard. And we're going to have a pear cinnamon syrup. <laughs> To add to it, if you'd like to as well, which will make oh for a really gosh. tasty hot toddy. Also, sorry, that's this is totally the best off news track, I've ever heard. <laughs> okay, there is no such thing as a drink that is exclusively an aperitif, uh, because uh, they're you know, like it's like champagne. Like you would drink it other times too, but it's like, like you know, lots of different drinks can be used as an aperitif. It, it has existed in since the fifth century. <laughs> what? I know, isn't that wild? It wasn't really popular, though, until 19th century Italy because it was served in very fashionable cafes and everyone was like, ooh, Ooh. I want to drink before dinner. That's nice. (laughs) This is the way I want to live my life, just slightly drunk all the time. Thank you. (laughs) Socially lubricated, as you said. Um, In Latin America, it was popular with tapas for centuries, which, I mean, makes sense. Tapas are... Great. You dine for three hours on little finger foods and tiny drinks. 
By the 1900s, it was popular in the U.S., and I thought this story was really cool. There was a chemist named Joseph Dubonnet. Dubonnet? Dubonnet? I don't know. Anyway, this chemist created Dubonnet Apertif in France in 1846. And what it was was it was basically like a quinine drink, but it was his way of delivering this malaria-fighting thing, quinine. But quinine's so bitter that he created this formula of herbs and spices to mask the flavor, and that kind of started the whole thing. So I thought that was cool. If you didn't know, quinine, if any of you out there are drinkers and often have anything with tonic in it, quinine Mm -hmm. is one of the primary ingredients in tonic water. Yeah, such a good taste. I love a gin and tonic Mm, with a bit of rosemary, splash of lime, best drink. I know you don't agree with me. (laughs) I mean, it's not my favorite. I did one time have this lady argue with me that tonic water was incredibly healthy. Uh, Like It's like sugar. (laughs) But like not in the sense that like there were healthy things in it, but in the sense that it was zero calories. And I was like, I hate to be the one to ruin your life, but the only thing that has that that's on a soda gun is soda water. (laughs) Like soda water can do that for you. Tonic (laughs) is not that. And she was like, they're the same thing. They have the same caloric and like same caloric bit. And I was like, no, they absolutely (laughs) don't. And then she's kind of being a little bit rude with me anyways, the whole day. So I kind of wanted to like shove it in her face. Cause I'm, I can be petty sometimes. Get her out. (laughs) Kick her out. But I, I like was like, okay, whatever. And then I got on my phone and looked it up. And then I was just like, waited for her to order another vodka tonic. And she did. And, when I when I set the vodka tonic in front of her, I set the phone in front of her too with the caloric, like with like the health <laughs> nutritional tab open on my phone for tonic water. You just slide it across the bar. And you're like, oh, and she you can just do read it. What you want. She just read it and like looked at my phone and like looked back up at me and she's like, well, I guess you were right. And I was like, I knew I was right the whole time, but now you know for sure, huh? <laughs> and then she got really mad, but she finished her vodka tonic. It was fine. Sorry, that's my that's that's a story of how petty I can be, guys. You didn't know <laughs> that <God>. about me. <laughs> All right, so we've had our first course. We've dined on our olives. We've had our champagne. We are talking. We're having a great time. We're laughing. Ha ha ha! You're so delightfully funny. And now we are at the part of the meal where we are so full. We are like Thanksgiving dinner full. Can't even get out of our chairs, <laughs> and. Your host brings out this beautiful glass of something that smells herbaceous and bitter as hell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I needed one on Thanksgiving so bad. Oh, my like, God. Does anyone have any Fernet? We checked to see if the pub was open. Just I'm to literally, see, I literally go one. to your local gas station. <laughs> Some of them will have Underbergs. Oh. And they're like tiny. Mm-hmm. But they can sell them all hours because they're so low in alcohol. But this, they, they are alcoholic. It's like oh, taking so it's almost like taking a shot of bitters. That's actually kind of a spoiler for something I wanted to talk about. In I'm just sorry. A but no, no, it's great. It's a it's get ready for it. Okay, so digestive means after. Uh it is also known as amaro in Italy, which comes from the word bitter. And it's used for the wind down conversation and digesting. You're sitting there, you're not ready to go home yet, you know, you've you don't really want to fart in front of anyone, but you like need that <laughs> digestive help, you know. So you drink your aperitif, or I mean your digestif or your amaro. Uh, they're generally flavored with dozens of herbs and roots. 
They are herbaceous and bitter and generally neatly served. They can be things like cognac, port, dessert wine, brandy. I've even saw one that people use mezcal as an digestif. Hmm. Which I thought was interesting and up your alley. <laughs> was it? What was it mixed with? Or just straight mezcal? Just plain. Yeah, just a shot of mezcal, huh. you know. But sipped, not, you know. Um, and it's served after your dessert course, or if you don't do dessert, your cheese course. So I want to talk a little bit about my mm, favorite, Fernet Branca. <laughs> mm-hmm. Fernet Branca was created in Milan in 1845 by a self-taught herbalist named Bernardino Branca. It was originally marketed as a cure for cholera and menstrual cramps. Okay. <laughs> Curious. Two wildly that different things, but... <laughs> something I did, had no idea about. Yeah. Um, so Fratelli Branca Distillery was created, and they started doing these wide marketing campaigns, and they even had these awesome calendars that had artwork in, on it from artists in 1886. It was, it's pretty cool. Um, and then it started to spread to Argentina. And it became popular in the U.S. in 1919 because of prohibition. It was sold as a medicine and not an alcohol. Ah, okay. Look at them. Look at them. Uh Uh-huh. So it became really big. Yeah. It became so big in the U.S. that they needed to create a branch here. So in, in 1936, they created a branch office in New York. And by 1960... The year of 1960, they sold 60,000 cases of Fernet Branca. <laughs> 60,000 cases? What is that? What is yeah. that math? I have to do that math real quick. Hold I don't on. know. That's going to bother I me. I don't know. <laughs> That's going to, I have to know. As we know from every episode of this podcast, math is not my strong suit. <laughs> that is 720,000 bottles. Wow. Uh... So wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Again, this is all shit that drives me crazy. So you said 1919? Yeah, it got popular in the U.S. in 1919, but then it, the 60,000 cases was in 1960. 1960, hold on. Yeah, the population was only 180.7 million in 1960. Wow. So how many bottles per family? <laughs> anyway, since this is a plant podcast, let's talk about some plants. So Fernet Branca is like notorious for how many herbs, the herbs it has inside of it, herbs and roots and all kinds of stuff. Um they won't release the entire recipe for obvious reasons, but it's said to be 27 herbs and other ingredients, and they use the exact same recipe that they did in the very beginning. They haven't cut or changed anything. Love that. Which I think is really cool. So some of the things that we do know is in there is eucalyptus, myrrh, saffron, <laughs> Chinese rhubarb, bitter aloe, uh, I had never heard this one before. Chinchona. Apparently it's, or Cinchona. It's a genus of flowering plants. I don't know. Chocolate, quinine, angelica, chamomile, iris. And there's also a rumor that it has pine resin in there because back in the day, pine resin was considered medicinal because if it heals the tree, it'll heal your insides sort of thing. So I mean, I guess reasonable for a lack of knowledge. Yeah. Pine resin. It'll heal all. Just rub that shit on you. <laughs> yeah. It'll just stick to your insides and stick them back together. Vernet <laughs> um, <laughs> is aged in a barrel for one year, and it is 39% alcohol. And, oh my gosh. Okay. Listen to this. Wait. No, I'm going to start with this one. Sorry. Um, in Argentina, Bolivia, and Uruguay, which is where 75% of all Fernet is consumed, 
They drink it with Coca-Cola called Fernet con Coca, which I kind of want to try. That sounds delicious. Oh, you've never had it? No. That's a is prime it good? way to drink Fernet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It tastes, I mean, you and I would like it because we both already love the natural flavor of Fernet. I can take shots of Fernet. I can sip on Fernet. I love that yeah. flavor. If you are not a bitter flavor person, it might be a little bit of a shock, but it does. I love yeah. Fernet and Coke. Hmm, I'll have to try it. And then I really want to try this. So you have to make me this. You ready? Maybe you've heard of it before. It's called the Hanky Panky. Mm, not familiar, but I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> it was created to- in like 19, I can't remember, like 1910 or something, but it's called the Hanky Panky. It's gin, sweet vermouth, and fernet. We'll have to make it at our at one of our houses because I don't have sweet vermouth at the bar, but I got you. I'll just you. bring it. I'll bring it to the bar. <laughs> bring it in like a mason jar or something not labeled and we can make it work. <laughs> no, I won't. Uh, uh, don't, don't tell anyone. <laughs> I would never. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it. That's aperitifs and digestives. I hope you try it out at your next dinner party. Please do. Man, have you had the Appalachian for net? You have. I know you have. Yeah. The Amaro. Oh, so mm-hmm. good. Mm. Also, have you had Fernet Minta? Uh, no, that's the one that they started doing, like, minty, right? Mm-hmm. It's also good if you like it to be a little bit sweeter. So I was going to say, yeah. for people out there that don't aren't super into the bitter, you can get some of the same flavor profile from Fernet Minta, but it's a little bit easier to palate. That's awesome. So if any of you out there have done some digestives and aperitifs, tell us your favorite. Email us. Send us a nice message. We'd I love, love to hear. trying new things. It's my mm-hmm. favorite. Or if you have your equivalent of the hanky panky, let us know. I just Especially love that booze. name. <laughs> oh my god, have you had a? I've, I've shown you a Ferrari before, right? No. I've never made you try a Ferrari. No, I don't think so. What is it? It's for net and Campari equal parts, and it's so oh yum. Good. It's on. Okay. Sometimes it's served as a shot. I take. I drink mine on ice because I like to sip it. But. Mm-hmm. Jake made me drink something called bong water the other day. It was not good. I've heard of that, and I don't remember what it is. <laughs> it tastes like Gatorade, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's that. What do you have for me? Yeah, so I am going to tell you a little bit about moonshine. Woohoo. Fire up the, fire up the bathtubs, boys. <laughs> right. This is one of those that I feel like. It was kind of hard to get deep into the plants of it all because it doesn't require that many. Potatoes. <laughs> um, and most of the things that it requires we've talked about in other capacities and other episodes of the show. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the history of moonshining and moonshine and then a little bit about how it's made more than I am going to focus on the plants because we've already talked about them before. You know, I feel like that always happens with these alcohol yeah. episodes. I just thought it'd be fun to go back to our No, roots. I think it's great. And, you know, it's going to, they're always fun episodes, so I'm super into it. But, yeah. so like, Moonshine has been around for a while, you know? Mm-hmm. So it has many names, and I thought this was really fun. So I'm just going to read a few of them, because I think they're, oh, it's a lot. It's, some of them are great. Yeah, yeah. So there's Moonshine, Bootleg, Firewater. Those are like the top three that I've Love. heard in my in my <laughs> lifetime. Then there's Hooch, Rock Gut, Mountain Dew, and White Lightning <laughs> are the more like regional ones that I also love a lot. Uh-huh. Um, rot Gut. <laughs> rot Gut. Have you never heard of Rot Gut Whiskey? That's usually like I've heard of Rot Gut Whiskey being just like cheap whiskey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
but the history for moonshine is almost as varied and wild as the different names it has, you know? So, like, whiskey, by the by de- definition in the Oxford Dictionary, is whiskey or other strong drinks made and sold illic- illicitly, same thing, illegally. Uh-huh, yeah. And even despite that fact, you could walk into a liquor store or, depending on where you live, a grocery store and find something labeled as moonshine. Yeah. Um, because there really aren't any federal... Don't you miss going to the grocery store to buy alcohol? <laughs> Don't I miss? I never got that. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> I never, never had that opportunity. I didn't think that through. I miss it. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I mean, I've, I've been in places now in my life where you can go into a grocery store and get alcohol, but I, I definitely don't, never had any experience with that to miss it, you know? Yeah. Sorry. Go on. Because in the, in the U.S., there's really no federal requirements as to how moonshine is to be made, which I thought was mm. kind of wild. Um, so... A lot of people kind of directly correlate moonshine and the southeastern U.S., Uh, especially if you're from the U.S. Its origins actually go back a lot further, and the term moonshine was first coined in the 15th century, Um, but it wasn't until the 18th century that the meaning behind moonshine started to intertwine itself with alcohol, and that was 18th Mm. century England. And when I'm saying this out loud, I'm almost positive I've done moonshine in an episode before, even if just briefly. But that's okay. Maybe we talked about it in vodka. Mm, Yeah, maybe. The potatoes. But prior to being linked to the alcohol trade, moonshine could be applied to anyone that was kind of operating under the light of the moon. And it was typically ascribed to people who were doing something illicit or illegal under the light of the moon. And that's where like moonshine comes from. Yeah, this sounds really familiar. I, I'm now that I'm reading it out loud. I am. I, feel like I really feel like I've done a whole thing before. about this, and I could be fucking up. All right, let me look. Let me make sure. Maybe I fucked up. <laughs> I don't think we did moonshine though. Potatoes and vodka. I don't think you did moonshine either. I feel like maybe we just talked about it, or maybe I don't know. I don't see anything. Well, you know what? Maybe it's when we did potatoes. I think that's when it was, but... Like the Irish potato famine? Or absinthe and whiskey? Maybe when you did whiskey? Maybe it was part of whiskey, too. Fuck it. Let's just pretend we're fine and nothing Yeah, it's fine. (laughs) It's almost a complaint. No one ever emails us anyway, so Yeah, it's like, as I'm saying this out loud, I'm like, I feel like I have (laughs) said these exact words before. (laughs) When you said, like, the light of the moon, I was like, oh, I've heard this. Yeah. It's fine. Anyway. Whatever. God, I am fucking it up with these notes lately. I am not doing a great job. But yeah, so a lot of the U.S. knowledge is what I delved into this time. And in 1791, the federal government imposed a tax on liquor made in the country known as the whiskey tax. Mm. So for the next three years, distillers held off the tax collectors by less than legal means, which ended up bringing a U.S. marshal to Pennsylvania to collect the taxes owed. And it was in this moment that more than 500 men attacked the area's tax inspector or attacked the area's tax inspector general's home. That's really hard to say. That's our tongue twister of the episode. <laughs> yeah. So it was at that point that more than 500 men attacked the area's tax inspector general's home. Wow. <laughs> Their commander was killed, which inspired a protest of nearly 6,000 people 
and then the tax was eventually repealed in 1801, and the events from the decade prior to that are, are now known as the Whiskey Rebellion. Huh. And Moonshine played an integral role in all of that. Cool. So a lot we of- We must have mentioned it in our whiskey episode. Yeah. But, yeah. So a lot of the lore and legend surrounding Moonshine is true, and one of those things is- that you could have bad batches or certain production techniques Uh-oh. like distilling in car radiators that could result oh, in liquor no. that could make you go blind. Oh no. Or even worse, kill you. Um but some of these stories, a lot of the prop like it was a propaganda campaign too. So a lot of the like myths mm. around moonshine are definitely not true. And it was just an effort to discredit the work of any moonshiner, mm. you know? And regardless of all of that, I thought, fun fact, um, the federal government commissioned Louis Armstrong to record radio ads about the dangers of drinking moonshine. Huh. During Prohibition Louis era. Arms- <laughs> Interesting. What a celebrity cameo. I know. <laughs> like, that was so crazy to me. <laughs> and then one more fun fact, and then I'll go into how you make, a little bit about how you make moonshine. Another fun fact is, that because of moonshine runners, not the people making the moonshine, but the people who would get moonshine from moonshiner to bars or wherever mm-hmm. the moonshine was going. Yeah. Uh, the people who were driving those cars actually learned some crazy good driving techniques because they had to evade the police a lot. <laughs> and uh, that actually led to the development of NASCAR. No way, really? Yep, for real. Oh, that's amazing. So, so that's part so cool. of NASCAR's heritage is from moonshiners and moonshine runners. <laughs> and there are actually still families that were an active part of the moonshine, moonshining world that still have hands and ties with NASCAR and have money from and in it, which I thought was kind of cool. How interesting. Huh. I didn't realize that that was a thing until I was doing my notes today. Yeah, that's cool. Um, but so making moonshine, I'm not going to go super crazy into detail because we also, we've talked about this in previous episodes, like the whole process of making alcohol in general. Um, but with moonshine, you tend to first have to have a mash. And so a mash traditionally would be made with, uh, crushed yellow corn, malted barley, water, yeast, and air. So it's fairly simple thing as far as the ingredients that you need Mm -hmm. um and so it gets a little bit more complicated from there so essentially you have to heat up your water to a certain temperature and then you add the crushed yellow corn and then once you've added the crushed yellow corn you get it back to that temperature and then you cool it off some after you've attained that original temperature again and add your malted barley And then once your malted barley is added, you have to cool it more and then add your yeast. And then once your yeast has been added for the appropriate amount of time, you kind of transfer that liquid that you've just made from container to container for a number of minutes. Mm. And then once you've aerated that in that way for a number of minutes, then you have to ferment it. So then you're going to seal it, and you're going to add your sugars, and then you're going to seal it. 
And so this is where some of the flavors can come in. Like if you ha- if you have just standard moonshine, like white lightning, as they would say, then it's mm. just going to be sugar. You're just adding sugar. So you're not really trying to develop a flavor. You're just trying to feed the yeast to allow for fermentation. Gotcha. Strawberry moonshine is my favorite, though. Yeah, or you can have flavors at this point and do strawberries or other things. And that they're also going to be mixed in the mash, too, to amplify the flavor. And then what's... The best moon... Sorry to interrupt you. No, go. Speaking of strawberry moonshine, I just had a memory. The best moonshine I ever had in my entire life, someone's uncle had made... And it was around a campfire in Santa Fe, and it was strawberry moonshine. And I drank it, and I was like, this is the greatest thing I have ever tasted in my life. Strawberry moonshine is that shit. Sorry, yeah. I pressed my AirPods in a weird way, and it started my um, uh, my Zelda and Chill playlist that I had playing earlier oh, in my ears. Delightful. So I was like, I was like delightful background podcast music. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, strawberry moonshine is the shit. I really love apple pie moonshine, which is just mm. like they use apples and cinnamon in the mash. Cinnamon, yum. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of good moonshines out there. Oh, yeah. Coming from these here mountains, I have had, <laughs> these quite, <are> heels. <laughs> had quite a few different kinds of moonshine in my life. But um, <laughs> So essentially, you, you let it ferment for one to two weeks. Um, and so the goal in fermentation is to equal out the sugar that you put in. So essentially, there's like a gravity test you can do to ensure that the fermentation has been long enough and that you've eaten, that the yeast has eaten all the sugar because you essentially want the sugar to have been fully used so that it doesn't Mm. transfer into the distillation. You don't want that. You want the sugar to be fully used by the yeast. Then you're going to strain it and then you're going to distill it. And again, I'm not going to go deeply into distillation itself because we have talked Talked pretty extensively yeah. about distillation about in a few our different previous yeah. uh, uh, alcohol episodes, so I don't yeah. want to go too deep into it. But once you have distilled it, I think another cool thing is that you have. Hold on, I forgot the word for it, and I didn't write it down. Give me one second. Four shots. Um, so once you have gotten yourself to the point of distillation, then you're going to begin your distillation. And something that I didn't realize is that I knew that there was the head, the heart, and the tail in Mm. distillation. We've talked about that before. But with moonshine, you also have to collect the four shots, which is the first 5% of the liquid separated by your distilling process. And so the four shots has the earliest evaporating alcohols in your corn mash water, which I know sounds ridiculous, but that just is what it is. And yeah. these should never be ingested. So a lot of the rumors huh. that went around about making it in car radiators, doing all of this that I mentioned earlier, could have been caused by them bottling four shots and the people who were getting these random bottles that were bottled with the four shots. Uh, four shots contain methanol. And methanol is very dangerous for you to consume. Huh. And it can end up making you blind and causing other health problems. So when they say four shots, is it like pouring out four shots worth? Um, it's spelled F O R E. So I didn't go that. Oh. I didn't do a huge oh, deep like dive. The four bearers. The yeah. Four, so <laughs> four shots. I'm assuming it's just shot. like the beginning shots oh, more than skull. it is four specifically. <laughs> Got it. Okay. You're supposed to separate. You're supposed to pour those into a separate container and throw them out completely. 
Um, I see. I in my head, I just had you like pouring out four shots on the bar. Anyways, yeah. I mean, I, that would be more easy to determine if you were going to make moonshine. <laughs> um, and then you have the heads, and the heads are also similar to the four shots in the sense that they're not not going to be the best thing to consume either. While it's not paint cleaner, you can use them for paint cleaners. Right. It's not like <laughs> it's not going to make you violently ill. But it will give you a really bad hangover. Yeah. And so then you, and apparently, which this is something I learned, there's like a solvent smell to the heads when you're making moonshine. Uh. So like really experienced moonshiners don't have to like figure out how long the heads are going to pour. The smell will just disappear. And then they can move into collecting the hearts, Mm. which is... About 30% of your yield from distillation, and that's what contains the ethanol, which is what you want. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the, that's the good stuff. That's the stuff that, like, gets you drunk, makes you happy, does the bit. And then <laughs> at the end, you have the tails. And while the tails aren't bad for you, they're just not great. So you have two options. You can either throw the tails out or you can reserve them and put them into your next batch of distillate. So you can like redistill them and it's fine. Oh. Yeah. Interesting. I had a friend once in Santa Fe distill moonshine from PBR and it was a fascinating process and it, you know, it did Tasted fine at the end. It was not my favorite, but I don't. I can't imagine it being my favorite. But I mean, I can see how that would work. We were also in college, so I feel like I would have drank anything at that. Yeah, but I've had some really good moonshine and some really bad moonshine. So, yeah, definitely. Okay, disclaimer: We're not telling you to go make moonshine. Just have to say that for le- for legal purposes. This is well, not. Let's make it a little bit less prohibitive. If you want to make moonshine, you're absolutely more than welcome to. Don't involve to, us. But it is, don't involve us. It is absolutely on you to check your local restrictions upon mm-hmm. alcohol production in homes. I mean, you could be living in an area where it's not illegal. Here, if I wanted to make moonshine for the purpose of anything other than personal consumption, it would be a big deal, and I'd have to get a bunch of permature. But if I'm making moonshine solely for personal consumption... You essentially just have to file a report with the city saying, this is what I'm doing, but it's just for me. And they're like, okay, chill. And then you're done. Cool. Hmm. Looks like you've looked into this. <laughs> I have friends who make moonshine. Legally. <laughs> nice. And otherwise. So. <laughs> I mean, uh, carrots. <laughs> <laughs> Call back to the very beginning episodes. <laughs> carrots. <laughs> Juno literally is laying on the bed and she looks like, um, Emperor Palpatine. She looks tired and angry at me for doing anything. And she has like a, the covers are over her head just to create enough of a shadow <laughs> where it's just her long nose poking out, staring at me. Can't even see her eyes. It's it. really, really bad. She looks evil. <clears throat> so do we have anything else to talk about? Um, I think you said that you might have a fun fact. You know, I do have a fun fact. Yeah. Fun fact. I... I have a fun fact about strawberries. Mm. Each strawberry, like the average strawberry, picture in your mind a strawberry. I don't know why I keep doing that. (laughs) Picture in your mind. (laughs) Picture in your mind a strawberry. 
The average strawberry has 200 seeds. That's a lot of seeds. That is a lot of seeds. <laughs> I'm not mad at it, though. <laughs> that's my fun fact. Well, guys, we've done a lot. I guess that's it. Talked <laughs> a lot. Y'all listened a lot. This is lovely. Yeah. Good job, everyone. I think that's going to be wrapping up our episode. If you would like to find us uh, and learn more about us or listen to prior episodes um, or future episodes, then Frankie's going to tell you where to find us. Uh, www.propagatedpodcast.com. That's it. Find, find it all in there. I it's, mean, we have everything. I work very hard to have, keep everything updated on the website. <laughs> it is a very simple thing to do. It is literally just propagatedpodcast.com. You can find a link to our Instagram, a link to uh, our Twitter on there. If you decide that you are able and want to financially support us, you can find a link to our Patreon and our coffee on there. Ko-fi, coffee, Ko-fi. <laughs> However never you know. say it, K-O-F-I <laughs> uh, is also on there if you want to make a one-time donation instead of committing to a monthly donation. And, and just a heads up, I did take down the merch for now because we are looking into using a third-party merch service. So if anyone knows anything about that and has any recommendations, email us. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, what else do we have to talk about? I have one more. Uh, do we shout everything out? <laughs> I think we shouted everything out. What do you have? Do we What's... have a new Patreon? Oh, shit. I think we do. Let me look. We have a new plant study to shout out. Boop, 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 boop. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> we have Kale. Oh, I don't know how to say your last name. I want to try. We're going to do it. Gidry. Gidry. <laughs> it's G-U-I-D-R-Y. Thanks, Kale. <laughs> <laughs> we well, appreciate you it. Know us, so you know we're bad. I really hope that you understand that our name pronunciations have no bearing in the in the personal love realm. It's just a. It's our love language. <laughs> it's just our our own inadequacies at uh, at, at language. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay, final thing. I want everyone who's listening right now to know it's that time of year where the light is less and our seasonal depression is high, and our plants. You know, they're going to turn yellow and lose a couple leaves, and that's totally normal. Just a reminder, totally normal. It's also totally normal for you to lose a couple leaves, too. Yes, exactly. Metaphorically, We are preparing for the winter. But... We're shedding whatever we need to shed to hunker down and get through it. And so you know what? Hug a plant today. Love y'all. AKA, we love you, and we love your plants. We love and you. And you're doing great. You're beautiful. You're amazing. Eat some sunshine. Goodbye. Bye.